So my mom texted me a few minutes ago um, about a, a bill that I usually cover for her that I forgot to pay this month, right? So I uh, I said, oh, I'll pay it right away. It's like 30 bucks. It's nothing. But it's something that I was like, I'll, I'll sign you up for that and I'll pay for it. So I was like, oh, I'll pay for it right away. Now, it's something that I've promised to do. She's just reminding me because she got the, the like the late notice or whatever. And she goes, thanks. I hope God returns it to you multiplied and a lot more than that. And with a lot of good health and well and goodness in your life. Subhanallah. Like what kind of subhanallah. <laughs> subhanallah. And like I owe her anyway. Yeah, subhanallah. <laughs> it isn't that that's what deeds are too, right? Yeah. It's like you, you we got all this life. Allah gave us this mass this this life with a ma- with a million factors in it that had to come together at once and we have all this stuff and all we're giving back is two point five percent in sadaqah, zakah, right? Five prayers a day. We're basically doing nothing, just acknowledging that he gave it to us. And then enjoying it. And what we get and back for it. And we get rewarded for that. Welcome to the Safina Society Podcast. How you guys doing? Alhamdulillah. It's been a long time. How was your guys' Eid? It was good. And yeah, we Well, actually, we have. I got a couple stories about the Qurbanis that we actually went out and... The last minute, someone said, let's go have breakfast with so-and-so right before, right after Salah. So we went, we had breakfast. The breakfast took a long time, right, before the food got served. For the listeners who might not know, sunnah, to not eat anything or drink anything before. Correct. So it's just, so the sunnah is that you go to Eid al-Adha on an empty stomach, not having eaten or drank, and then you eat after the Salah. So after Eid, we went out, and this took so long. And we were supposed to meet at like 12 noon at the masjid to go do the slaughtering. And uh, so they, I'm like, I realize it's like 11.50 and the food hasn't even arrived yet. So I'm going to be like an hour late. And I was an hour late. Okay. Now, I didn't know that Sammy told you, told Alex to wait. He didn't. He said, are you going to come with us? And yeah. I said, I'll wait for Dr. Shadi and we'll roll together. Okay. So, yeah. So he, so Alex waited for me and I'm sitting there. I'm rushing. I'm moving so quick. I'm an hour plus late. Oh, man. Right. I'm an hour plus late. So I get to the masjid and he's there. And then... Lo and behold, what happens when you meet at the masjid? As soon as you're about to leave, and then, right? <laughs> right? So that's another half an hour. Sure, pray sunnahs, because once the adhan goes, it's haram to leave, right? Till when the adhan goes off. So we pray sunnahs, and we pray our fard. By this time, it's almost 2 o'clock, right? It's almost 2 hours, and now Alex has to leave. 11 to 2 is 2 o'clock? Huh? 2 no. hours? Oh, uh, we were meeting at 12. We were meeting oh, okay, at 12, okay. yeah. And... Alex has to leave, go visit his, his, he's going to visit his mom up north, right? And the, and the old Heya was up north. So I said, well, slaughter and go. He's like, no, I got to pick up Zainab, which is down south, right? So I was like, oh, forget this. So he's like, I'm out. I can't do this. I was, honestly, I was making sujood. I felt so bad that I made him miss his slaughter. This is like that one time you made me come up for like four hours. I stayed at the masjid and he drove in the wrong direction for two hours (laughs) trying to get Oh, I remember that. Yes, that was a party that we wanted to have, a dinner party we wanted to have. And I went to pick up a kid for 15 minutes. I ended up getting lost. All of this always works out, though. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sitting there and I'm saying to myself, this is my fault. I'm causing him to miss his udhiyah, right? It's all my fault. Sorry, we also already sent to Africa. So oh, okay, this is bonus. Oh, good. <laughs> so then uh, we, tur- we turn around, we go, and he's like, I got to go. So I was like, I felt really bad. He went, missed his Udhiya. We all went, drove up, me and a couple other carfuls of people. We get there, and 
Sammy comes to us to, comes comes to us straight away. He's like, no one's slaughtering. There's a water main break. Oh. Nobody's slaughtering today. And we all just stood around doing nothing. And then I was like, wait a second, let me talk to Alex. At least he didn't miss anything, right? <laughs> so we had driven an hour up, right? Got there, no slaughter. And then we drove an hour back down, two hours of our time. So Alex was like, wow, subhanAllah, waiting for you for an hour saved me the rest of the day. SubhanAllah. Yeah. That's the first story about the Udhiyah. That's actually uh, a Dini one because he replied back and he said, SubhanAllah, uh, waiting for your Muslim brother and then obeying your mother. Right. That's what saved me. Right. Because he waited for me and then he went to visit his mom. So uh, and he chose his mom then to slaughter, which is the right thing to do. Right. So the other story, which is more on the comical side, I am doing a wedding yesterday. It's an Egyptian wedding. (laughs) 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 That could be just the joke by itself, but it's not. So I thought you weren't going to Egyptian weddings. No, I was conducting it in the masjid. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm conducting this wedding, and there's uh, an older white man and white woman there. And they're the only non-Egyptians. So afterwards, they wanted to talk to me. The husband comes, and he says a nice talk and everything, and, and uh, very, really benefited from it, etc. And the wife comes, and we're talking, and I'm trying to talk to them because they're guests. And she gets into the fact that she has animals. She loves animals, right? So she go, she's carrying on about her different animals, and I'm like, I, I, I sort of like it. You know, animals are, like, comfortable. Uh, close to nature and all that stuff. So she goes, uh, she start, her eye starts welling up. She said, accept this. Eat. I said, what happened? She said, well, we have a farm. The township shut us down. Okay, I said, you're not big enough. So uh, the guy that we knew from the wedding, he said, I know an Egyptian lady with a farm. You can go use her land. So Hoda, right? So go use Hoda's <laughs> land. So she's like... <laughs> We, in the backyard. <laughs> yeah. So we're using Hoda and Hosam's land, right, for the for the yard. I was like, okay, and she's like, and I had a pet lamb for the last twelve years that I raised myself, okay, and I didn't know it was Eid. And lo and behold, a couple of days after Eid, Hosam comes to my house, puts his head down. He says, "You know me." You know how much I care for your animals. There was a mix-up. <laughs> <laughs> and your pet oh lamb was accidentally slaughtered. I mean, at this point, it's mutton, right? It's an <laughs> old it's sheep. It's an old sheep, oh, right? Man. So she is just eyes just bawling, oh. right? And I'm like, and she's like, lambs, right? They are like babies. They, they know you. They, talk, they come to you. Right, you have to feed them twice a day when they're baby, or two, every two hours when they're the first month of birth, and then twice a day for the next six months. And they are very attached to you, and they'll eat out of your hand, out of your pocket. And she said, "This lamb," and her husband was like, "Yep, this lamb was in the kitchen all the time, in our house all the time, right?" And uh, well, accidentally got slaughtered by the. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the amazing thing was, she took it in great stride. She didn't say. This is why we hate Islam and Muslims, <laughs> right? She took Violent it in stride. Muslims, yeah. It's like she's actually a sign of a person who's met so many Muslims, right, mm-hmm. and Egyptians that she can't generalize anymore. Yeah. There's there's a threshold, yeah, yeah, right. Like we can't generalize certain people when you meet so many of them, it won't even click in your mind to generalize, right? right? That's why no one generalizes on whites because they're just you see so many of them 
that you can't generalize. Whereas you can easily generalize Mexicans or someone else yeah. until you start <laughs> mingling, right? I, I, I live amongst a lot of people of, of like a certain, and I can generalize them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I see it all day, every day, and the generalizations. I, I can generalize 90% of day season. <laughs> now, um, I just want to do a quick housekeeping thing before we turn it over to Moeen. Some people were asking, where's all the recording and all the podcasting? It, the reason was we shut down for a good two months because I was basically uh, in the cave finishing redoing the whole Maliki textbook, right? And inshallah, we're, gonna, we're actually finished now with the curriculum series. There's one more book of Tasawf. I can do it later, though. But going forward, the next annual, this year coming forward, You'll see all these books published and, inshallah, uh, bundled in a curriculum series with exams for Muslim high schools, right? So it's going to be a year out. It's going to take a year to edit it all, put it all in a format, blah, 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 and do all, write up exams, all that stuff. But that's the reason we were out. We're a multifaceted, Safina Saad is multifaceted. We have live classes, right? At any given week, we have four classes going on live in the masjid. Uh, we got the podcast, the books, and the arc view. I haven't done anything for Arcview for a while. Main reason, writing the book. So we have a multifaceted operation. And I think that's a good thing. I don't want to be just a blog, just a podcast. Sure. Right? Uh, Islam is about balance. And you, you get a balanced perspective, uh, especially when you have an on-site center that you go to all the time. So that's a little housekeeping. Now we can turn it over to Moit. So uh, <clears throat> I think that because you brought up the Odhya, uh I find it really interesting that uh, most people in the West, at least Muslims in the West, don't get the opportunity to do you know their own slaughter mm -hmm. uh, i mean i have never done it in the u.s uh the only i mean i've never actually done udhiya properly on eid ever in my life um you never slaughtered no not not on eid i've had slaughtered an okay. animal yeah. but just not on eid right? aren't you hanafi what aren't you hanafi why, why are you whispering that like as if like I'm a, a demon. Or something. I'm just saying, <laughs> it, it's in, it's wajib for you guys, right? Yeah. yeah. Which oh, means right. it's sinful to leave it off without a purpose for every no, adult no, no. in the so, household. So I I just pay for it. It's yeah. not that I don't do the here. I'm just saying I haven't physically oh, okay. slaughtered the, okay. the, the Uthia. Uh But I find it interesting that you know many folks in in the Western world don't get this opportunity because. Alhamdulillah, I've had the opportunity at least to slaughter when I've gone you know overseas. But I think having like this connection to the natural world and having like this so connection to nature is and, and animals and, and and life as you take it, I think is extremely important. And the the the, the source uh, origin of how I got talking to this woman about lambs is that I said I wanted to bring my uh, a lamb for my kids. Right? I want just want them to see different animals. I want to have like I bought them chicks before. Right, and the chicks were around for a few days, and then we sent them off to Amali's little farm in the across the uh, house next to the masjid. Um, I wanted to bring him a lamb, and she said that she raised this lamb, and that's where she got into her story. She raised the lamb and and feed it two times a day, blah blah blah, <laughs> and then it was accidentally slaughtered on Eid. But uh, closeness to nature, I think, is one of the sources of purification of fitra. And if I can say this, just from my own common sense, not as a scientific thing. Mental disorders, right, would a lot of times grow in environments far from nature, right? Just to, just to think about this. When you think of someone who is neurotic, do you think of him being out in nature? No. no. So just anecdotally, no. right, uh, being close to nature is very healthy for the human being. Now, Moeen's topic today had to do with this, right? 
like why people are shooters, etc. Blah blah blah. Why people are losing so much connection to life itself? We're losing connection to Earth, right? And that's one of the reasons. That's also um, it's also this idea of being able to see suffering, right? And sort of accept a certain level of pain in, into your life. I mean, uh, I went to I went with my dad to get the meat, and it was the first time that I saw a cow being slaughtered in like I don't know twelve years right mm -hmm. 15 years and i was just i was texting me and i'm like am i just weak right <laughs> i was like traumatized right uh, and because i but then i was thinking here we are giving the animal the honor of actually taking it by the hand and actually giving it proper slaughter there's so many animals that are just sort of just killed right mm -hmm. mercilessly and i'm thinking to myself there's so much pain that this animal is suffering and so that I can eat the meat, right? And I feel like because so many people are disconnected from the food that they eat, like how the things that they're using come to them, they don't have the sense of like integration with the world. They feel so alone, right? You, you so. said something really important. Uh, by being close to nature, you witness a certain degree of pain and suffering, yeah. right? When you're close to nature, you're going to make analogies in life to what you see in the world, right? Now, when you live in a city far from that, where food comes to you, you know, disconnected from its source, yeah. or you're always in abstraction, right? You're living, everything is abstract. Then nothing is actually connected to what its physical origin. So when something bad happens, you actually uh, can easily make an analogy, right? The analogy to animals, you see animals suffering all the time. You see animals dying, you see animals hunting, right? And hunting each other. So the analogy to nature, okay, allows or adapts people to uh, handle suffering a lot more, uh, as opposed to living in a completely, uh, you know, pain-free, abstract environment of, of human beings alone, right? Then you don't realize why we have to tolerate any pain at all, right? And, and you know, like, uh, it's actually scientifically proven that, uh, like, neuroticism happens in, like, neurotic qualities go up in a more stable environment because people are less likely to take risks, right? Mm. And um, you actually have, like, very extroverted people tend to be in tribes. So, like, you know, tribal people, like Turks and things like that, yeah. they're very extroverted. Why? Because they're always hunting, they're always doing stuff, they're mm. taking risks. But because we live in a society that's, like, completely cut off from suffering, you yeah. know, anything that you want, it's there. Yeah. And you're just sitting on your butt all day uh, watching, you know, playing video games like me. Yeah. You know, it's... <laughs> um, you know, it's like your degree of like the threshold of your pain just goes up. Mm -hmm. Like uh, some the the littlest pinch can like yeah. throw you off. You yeah, know? you're so. atrophied. You're atrophied. Yeah. yeah. Um, just as a as a, as an aside to this, uh, there was a Turkish sheikh, rahimahullah, he passed away now, who used to say that slaughtering mm -hmm. cures depression. Subhanallah. So if somebody's really depressed and they're like, you know, feeling anxious and they're like. They should go and, and, and do a slaughter. And it's it's it'll it'll bring up their spirits. Ajib. Yeah. Ajib. I is wonder why that is. Allah, I never asked him for his dalil because I gave those ways up a long time ago. <laughs> but I also well, have no reason to doubt it because the work that he did on his bunis was it worked. I saw it. So well, we saw uh, a slaughter. We actually saw a man and uh, uh, there was a Nigerian group that went for for the slaughtering, and this guy had literally a kitchen knife, right? Uh, it was a good sized kitchen knife but he actually took the animal from slaughter to bagged it he bagged it everything in 
35, 40 minutes, right? And I was like, are you like a pro? It's like, this is your job? He's like, no, I just did it a couple times in the home in the home country, right? But he literally, with a kitchen knife, cut it up in a certain way and took the skin off. But when it t- came time to the, for the actual slaughter, my kids were there. Someone was like, are you going to let them see it? I was like, I'm going to let them see it, right? I want them to have, a, I want them to have a sure. full childhood, right? And ha- who knows when they're going to get the next chance? And why should we shelter them, right? So they looked. I said, kids, it's up to you. If you want to look, look. I said, they all wanted to look. They, <laughs> the, the, a man came and he did it wrong, right? He did it really badly. He I hung the that. animal upside down and he took a knife that was not sharp yet and he's hacking away, hacking away, hacking away, and it failed. Everyone said, hey, you're doing it wrong. So this Nigerian came in, took it, he put it, laid it down, took a sharp knife, and boom, boom, in two strikes, it was done, right? right. Now, look at the reaction. This is a great nama and hikmah. Because my kids said, oh, alhamdulillah, he did it right. So had, by seeing it done wrong, right, they're like, well, we know that's wrong. But this method is much better. So you're seeing actually the right way to do it. And the, uh, we say that the um, slaughter of an animal by a Muslim for food is the martyrdom of the animal, right? And to be slaughtered on Eid al-Adha is the highest martyrdom, right? So... I tried to bring, like, they love animals, right? So we spent time feeding the chicken and the goose and the, and the goats. And they were so upset at the wrong way of slaughtering. I was like, oh, that's fine. As long as we recognize there's balance in the world, we have to eat the animals, right? But just have to be slaughtered in the right way. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we have to eat the animals. Otherwise, the world would be overrun by animals, right? And also, the cycle of life, right? The circle of life. I've seen Lion King. And he says, we eat the animals, and yeah. then the animals become us. Then we die. Then we go into the grass. Then the animals eat the grass, right? So that's actually great wisdom right there. So the, the vegan extremism is, has been vaccinated. There will be no <laughs> vegans, inshallah, in the Al Masri family. I think, yeah. I, I, think uh, I and most people have less of a problem with uh, um, you know, the, the vegan attitude of, uh, you know, not eating so much meat, yeah. right? Because I can agree, like, you know, you should not consume, you know, ridiculous amounts of meat, not treat animals wrong, not, you know, have, uh, you know, un- un- you know uh, like uh, unethical ways of, you know, slaughter, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. That has nothing to do with, you know, eating meat, right? Those Eat are excessive all, eating yeah, meat? Yeah, yeah. That, that has nothing to do with that. Uh, yeah. We believe in all of those things, right? But <clears throat> I think we're just sort of speaking out against the you know what is the point of the you know not uh not eating meat that's yeah. not going to solve all the other problems yeah. right like not eating meat is not going to solve animals not being slaughtered it's not going to solve unethical treatment of humans and animals yeah. right all across the world that's not going to do anything yeah. right? <laughs> it's not actually you're, you're totally right it's an extreme that's not going to solve anything right. right like uh back in the day when you had people discover into self in a selfie community right so what did they do? Cancel the whole thing. You didn't solve anything because they're still going to want it, right? right? So the right way to do it is see what is accepted in the sunnah, in the sharia by the scholars, and allow that and disallow it, any, anything else. Like go to the middle somehow. Right? And it's like the same people. We talk about this all the time, right? These people are, uh, you know, they have MacBook Pros and iPhones and, you know, they're like How is that vegans, with the environment? Yeah. And it's like, what's like these things are made by child labor, and, you know, in other countries. Right? And, and, and by extracting rare earth minerals from Africa. Right. Yeah. So let's ignore all of the other things, but we're going to concentrate on this like, one little tiny issue. But anyways, yeah. Yeah, Alex wanted to say something. 
I just want to be the the actually guy. So uh, actually, actually, <laughs> to Naz's point, when done correctly, as Dr. Shady was pointing out, the animal the animal suffers almost not at all. As soon as you cut those two veins, the animal passes out from lack of blood. Mm. So the rest of it, it doesn't actually feel, and any twitching and stuff is just muscle reaction. Actually, oh. also, <laughs> um, excessive meat meat eating is uh, just an amorphous term. That's undefined and undefinable, excessive for whom and what condition and what situation. Also, that's a separate issue from animal suffering. You can eat meat three times a day, seven days a week, and still not contribute to animal suffering or anything like that. I quote the author of Abu Bakr Siddiq when he was seen during his khilafah carrying the firewood. And somebody said to him, what are you doing? Omar said, what are you doing? And he said to Sayyidina Omar, I have to work to feed my family. He said, you're the Khalifa, what are you talking? He said, it's not enough. And he said, we give you a sheep and X amount of dinars. He said, I need a sheep and a half daily. I need a sheep and a half and I need uh, a couple more dinars than what you give me. It's a big family, wives and children and stuff like that, and host people. But it was meat every day. A couple things. Firstly, the Prophet pointed to the cow as eating that meat was what he cautioned to. And the lamb is not considered the dangerous meat to eat in excessive. Sayyidina Imam Malik ate meat regularly, lamb regularly, like daily, yeah. right? And he was someone who saw Rasulullah every night. This is a very well-known uh, statement about him. So he was, uh, that's one thing. Second thing is uh, when we slaughtered, the man took out the organs, right, the guts, and put them in a bag. And then my kids ran to look at this. And they said, what is that? And it was like, was like the stomach, the intestines, the organs. And subhanAllah, it was like, it's it's clean. It's not a filthy thing, right? Uh, The organs on the inside of an animal, they're nice looking. It's like white. It's not something gruesome and nasty. Very nutritious too. Yeah. But if you buy a whole goat, isn't that what they give you at the butcher too? They'll give you all the other organs. Yeah, all everything. Yeah, they give you everything. And so the uh, women there, there were some women there, they were vying for it. They said to the man, we'll buy this bag from you. And they're like, Baba, what are they going to do? I said, do they empty it and fill it with rice, right? And then cook it, right? Deep fry it, right? We call it mumbar, right? So, but that's, uh, but the organs were really beautiful on the inside. It's not something like some nasty thing like uh, guts and gore and stuff. If I may, yeah. just quickly from, this is Ibn Qayyim in uh, Tibanawi, mm. um, talking about eating meat. And he says, cow meat is cold, dry, heavy on the stomach and produces black bilious blood. Yeah which is a reference to pre-modern type of uh, medicine that people understood that it, it causes like melancholy and depression and stuff. That is only suitable for hard workers. Mm. Eating cow meat excessively for those who are not used to it um, causes, usually causes black bilious illness. The harm that meat causes will be neutralized when one eats it with spices, garlic, ginger, and cinnamon. The meat of fat calves is one of the best, mildest, and tastiest types of food it is warm and wet and it fully digested provides good nutrition. Mm. So they were eating like grass fed, very lean, hard. It was tough meat. The meat that we get today that's full of fat is actually yeah. good for you. Okay, question two. Uh, if you're in the desert or the mountains, like the Arabs or the Turks, okay, and you're traveling across the desert in the heat and you need to stop to eat, what are you eating? You're eating meat. You're eating dates and meat, right? Yeah, dates and meat. Uh, dried raisins, dates, yeah, that's turkey. all you can have, right? And meat. Yeah. Because you can't have vegetables. There's no carb. What carbs are you going to have? What are you going to mm-hmm. have? Right? Yeah. I mean, also, I mean, it's a point to note here. 
most like vegans aren't just like anti meat just for the sake of being anti meat. I would. It's, yeah, it's the, animal it, suffering. It's animal yeah. suffering and like climate change and like a lot of other things. Right. I'm sure if they were in. Like the past, like most vegans probably wouldn't be vegans. Right? There were it's no because, vegans in the past. Yeah, it's because yeah. Of, not possible. I mean, and I, I, you know, many points of theirs I agree with. Right, there's like you know, corp, you know, corporate greed, things like that. I mean, this you is, shouldn't buy industrial. Is, you shouldn't yeah. buy industrial animals. This stuff has ruined the world, right? Yeah, uh, that stuff. That stuff's all fine. But there's another problem that we're going to come upon is that very soon, the bulk of meat in the market will be factory produced meat from a drop of blood. Well, yeah. Well, right. that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But we at home, sorry, we buy we buy meat either from, you know, farmers, uh, or we, f- or we buy that stuff that comes from Australia, which is like free range, organic, nor hormones, you know, processed by Muslims. Like we're not buying like anybody. By the way, the best, the best argument for eating only halal meat is you can't eat this this brutalized factory produced hormone filled. And by the way, you shouldn't also just go to your local, like, corny local butcher shop where they're <laughs> buying meat at auction that's been treated this way, yeah. raised on hormones and drugs and antibiotics, mistreated, harmed. And then they just say, Bismillah, Akbar, right before they slaughter it. Yeah. It's halal, but it's not, it's not tired. Uh, I had one thing more that I wrote down I wanted to get to. You said stability produces neurosis. It produces atrophy of, of certain nerves, right? Uh, and people are unable to handle situations. And I actually find that if you look at all over the Quran, if you look at all over the Sirah, the messengers, uh, if you look at all over human nature or uh, in human history, you're going to find the great value in conflict. There's a great value in conflict. Conflict is very important, right? And I never shy away from a valid conflict. Okay? <laughs> we will all get stronger from a valid conflict. Yeah. I'm not saying like stupid, like Stephen Port, David Portnoy stupidity conflict, right? I'm talking about a valid conflict, right? right? Yeah. Uh, where there's a point to be made and it will ruffle feathers and get everyone upset. I'm telling you, over the long term, you'll find that, number one, if you find solutions to the conflict, that's the one thing. Secondly, everyone involved will get stronger, right? People will get stronger with conflict. And conflict causes people to look into matters they never would have looked at before. Right. So you always got to think about that. The existence of that uh, type of rough and tumble is good for people. Right. As long as it has a, 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 a purpose, yeah. not just for the it's sake of it. The benefit of being uncompromising. Right. Yeah, Uncompromising. Because if you start if you start to get into nuance and oh, well, let me, I see your point and I hear what you're saying. And maybe like the problem with that is that it gives an opening for 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 innovative idea for innovation yeah. it really does give an, an opening for the innovation there should be no nuance and clear cut things yeah Khas, it's this is what it is and that's what it is like the example we were given with the sheikh in jordan who yeah. walks into a house sees the, the picture on the wall of the grandfather turns around and walks out so i don't, yeah. don't want to talk about it there's nothing to compromise there's no okay i understand or hey let me talk to you about no it's you should just know that it's wrong and that's it we're going to get to now right now. I just want to throw in one, one thing is that I believe most people, usually East Coast, West Coast people, maybe London, they want to nuance because they're very afraid of conflict, right? They're really afraid. of you, if, you, if you hang out with these people, right, and you talk to them, they are very conflict averse. They're very cowardly, very conflict averse, okay? And they have no enemies, right? But they have no principles either, right? So they have nothing to stand for and they have no one to stand against. 
but they're very um, uh, conflict averse. Just recently, somebody, um, some famous actress was complaining uh, about how the left, like all this call out culture and cancel yeah. culture, the left is doing it to themselves more than they're doing it to like their opponents. Mm, so like it's because of this, right? If you're always trying to be agreeable, you start picking each other apart on the little things mm-hmm. and you're no longer dealing with major issues because you're great on that because you, you conceded and you compromised and you, oh, we'll agree, we'll agree, we'll agree. Now you have to argue about the little things. Yeah. And now you're, you're throwing each other to the wolves over like a, a misstatement. Yeah. Yeah. I, pron- I mispronounced that word. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> Too late. You're done. You're yeah. canceled. Yeah. You're out. And it only, it only happens to the people that are overly agreeable. Yeah. You know what's funny is that um, – we were discussing personality types. So yeah. I recently did a presentation on personality types. You know, Safrawi, Damawi, uh, okay, the yeah. temperaments, right? We did the episode on yeah, that. Yeah, you did the episode on that. And the Safrawi temperament is <laughs> both of you guys sitting over here. <laughs> they, they absolutely love conflict. They actually yeah. get turned on by Well, I mean, get energy by conflict. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Um, they get energy from conflict. And they also, their greatest strength is their willpower. Like if they focus their will on something, yeah. I mean, they can stay up three months in a row to do whatever, right? Destroy their enemy or yeah. <laughs> conquer the world, right? So yeah. uh, I, that, that has a very good, um, uh, that personality type has a very good skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do the other personality types. So there is actually a time when we should be introspective and reflective, right? Which the, um, the melancholic personality type does very well, right? And the, the, you'll see like a lot of uh, people of the tasawwuf, you know, the people that wrote books, they tend like Imam Ghazali, perfect example of a melancholic personality. Very introspective, very logical. He can come up with all these arguments. So it's really about um, wh- when should we create conflict and stick to our principles, or and when should we we be understanding? Sheikh, now, Sheikh no, Yunus. Yeah. Yeah. In 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 Sheikh Nus book. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, right. Right. So so um uh, uh, anyway, why uh, the reason I wanted to interject was to summarize. Uh, what I've been hearing so far is that there's a threat of humanity within some of the rules of Islam. That some of the rules of Islam forces us to interact with the real world. Mm-hmm. Even if you're a person, like I'm a person, I don't want to interact with the real world, right? I've never went to see the um, uh, my dad or people go and slaughter the animals, right? This this year, I was reading fiqh of Hajj, and I feel guilty that I didn't know anything about Hajj, and I didn't know anything about Qurbani, right? Yeah. And I make enough money now, I have to give Qurbani. I was reading and I'm like, I should go and see it, right? Because, you know, why, why be a loser? So, <laughs> not go and do it. You're just going to see it. <laughs> Inshallah, one day I'll do it. Inshallah. So, so, this, like, if you, uh, Islam actually demands of you, regardless of your personality, it demands some type of interaction with the world and even interaction with some of those unpleasant things, too. Like, you're killing an animal, right? Uh, some people would find that unpleasant. But it forces you to have these values while you're doing those things. Mm-hmm. And this is why, you know, I want to turn it over to Muin in just a bit. This is why we chose this topic is, what, what can Islam offer the modern world? It's, it's giving us values. And if you look at all these movements, like the LGBT movement, the women's rights movement, the vegan movement, all of them have some type of true principle that they're arguing for, mm-hmm. right? Uh, for example, the vegans, they don't want to cause animal suffering. That's a good thing. Oh, we start with the right? first one you said. LGBT? <laughs> okay, um, they don't like being bullied, right? Uh, you know, people uh, bullying people, right? So, I mean, it's... Okay, just uh, ignore me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say anything, man. But I, 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 have, I have a defense for that one. Okay. Um, 
but I'm not gonna give it. <laughs> no, but I was gonna I, I, just to. I didn't mean to cut you off, um, but what I was going to you know continue with your thoughts. Continue with your thoughts. So what I what I was saying is, all these people they're creating these movements because they actually want the good, right? They actually want the good. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, they don't know what the good is. They don't know what the right amount of balance is. They don't know what values to aspire to. And we have today in the world, there's humanity is like, they don't know what values to aspire to. And I, you know, the, the purpose of this podcast, I think the purpose of the topic is that Islam has something to offer us mm-hmm. with giving us those values to aspire to in the right, right way. You're, you said a couple of things that were really, when, we, when you did the um, research for the problem of evil stuff, which was amazing, right? And you inshallah. owe us the summary, inshallah. Uh, which I think you actually probably it's in my inbox in any event uh, <laughs> it probably is right but one of the things you said was Saeed Nursi said every action of a person is rooted in some adoration of a virtue so you said for example the Zani the man who commits Zina he does adore the beauty of the creation right he's just doing it in the wrong way right, right. and that Islam comes to say what you have in you we can also offer in, a, in the right way Connected to people, family and community, and connected to all other virtues. Yeah, you said that, right? So, for example, even a violent person, someone who loves violence. Well, in Islam, we do have a place for violence. Like, there are righteous wars. There are wars that can be done, fought, right, for good value, for good reason, right? So those types of people, they have a place. But you're going to be put into a system which gives it a value, but also will give you value on everything else. Because once you come into Islam... You're going to find yourself, whether you like it or not, you're going to live a balanced life, right? right? And you're going to be connected to the earth and to people and to spirituality and to past and future. Past meaning our lineages and our, our prophets of the past and the future being Akhra. So that's a huge point. And it also leads into what Moin was bringing on what are the values that uh, Islam brings. Yeah. So I think the, the next topic that I wanted to get into is it connects with this that's the last topic of connecting with the natural world uh, because I think it a lot of that angst you know that we feel today has one to do with this natural disconnection from the natural world but I want to talk in general about the amount of violence that's taking place around the world uh, especially let's talk you know more localized in you know America yeah because almost every week or two weeks now we hear of you know and a mass shooting or a violent act that takes place and now i mean it, it almost feels you know it's scary like you, you walk into a you know the mall and uh you know something could happen so I mean, that, and that's how generally people feel nowadays right yeah now something to that we that i've been thinking about is you know what leads people to this and what what does islam have to has has have to offer when it comes to understanding this worldview, um, I think I want to talk about this idea of this general angst that people have about the world, which I think eventually the, the problems that exist, that's what leads to people, you know, becoming these mass shooters, right? It's the modern world that we live in. And I want to touch on those topics. But I think there is this general, like, uh, feeling that most people have in society today that there's something wrong with the world, that there's something going on. How do we deal with this? And, you know, uh, what is truly a life worth living? So I'm going to offer a, a, an alternate take than maybe most people uh, have on this, which is 
Number one, crime and violent crime is way down. It's way down over the last 20 years. It's down over the last 40 years. It's down over the last 100 years. And it's continually re- shrinking. It's actually less violent. Percentage? There's less violence. Yeah. There's the, the rate of violence is, is lower. And it's lower every year. What we do have is an increase in these random, you know, incidents of people going off and killing a bunch of people and it's not just mass shootings you know you look at china where there's firearms are virtually banned you have mass stabbings and slashings like there is something going on in the world where um it fits the hadith about akhir zaman right which is one of the signs is that up there will be killing it'll be widespread and the person doing the killing and the person being killed neither of them will know why this is what we're talking about right now. So that's a real thing that's happening. But I think that overall, uh, you know, the media focus on mass on so-called mass shootings and, you know, the, the random nature of it. Because there used to be a lot more violence, but there used to be some rhyme and reason to it. People used to kill people that they knew. Yeah. Or fight with people that they knew. Or, injury, or they used to have a purpose for it. Robbing people yeah. or taking something or whatever it was, right? Revenge. Now it's just random. And it's mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is crazy. I think I think we also I think we'll just wanna, I think we also there's an under when we talk about mass shootings especially in America man there's a real underlying and under, an undercurrent of just like total elitist racist garbage this is ri- this is the epitome of I don't care about other people getting killed poor people black people hispanic people immigrants I don't care about those people dying in America from gun violence what I care about is the infinitesimally small percentage chance that somebody might shoot up my kid's school. You know, I live in the suburbs and I make good money and I send my kids to the school and I want them to be safe and protected from all that. I don't care about these people in Chicago and in New York and in, the, and in L.A. and in the ghettos of America. I don't care about those people at all. Let them keep shooting each other. What I, the reason I want gun control is because I want to protect little Billy. And the media supports this. They go, oh, my gosh, it's so random. And yeah. it could be a movie theater or a church or a school. It's every single weekend in Chicago and nobody talks about it. And if they were serious, they would be talking about handguns, not about rifles, which, you know, AR-15s or so-called assault rifles, which kill less people than hammers and clubs every year. Right. Handguns are the majority of it. There's something on average every year around 11 to 12,000 murders with firearms. Mm. Close to 8,500 of those every year are gang-related or drug-related. So you take those off the table. Then there you have you know this three to four thousand, the vast majority of which are still committed among people who are in bar fights or you know some kind of domestic thing or whatever the reason is. So it's not random. And then you have this really small number of random ones. And this is all that we care about. Yeah. Well, it's all we care about because it's the special people. Yeah. It's the people that are, are doing well, and it's the people that you know the media goes, look how beautiful these children are, and they're being killed. I can't. Yeah, I have no patience for that. Sorry, and go it's ahead. It's uh, it's not that I want to dis- disagree with you on that. Please the do. No, the only point, the only point is that I think these killings are special, in their um, horrific nature. Right. I think it's unprecedented that you would ever find the only place you would find people like this in history is like mercenaries, like roving bands of mercenari- mercenaries when states are falling apart and. You know, people are killing each other and there's famine, right? And they still probably were doing right. it to eat. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I mean. There's some external cause. Now, here's this guy sitting in his mom's basement, radicalized by 4chan. Yeah. Now, what can push you to that depth of, like, darkness to, like, kill children? 
I think and, and like videotape it and put it on YouTube. Like uh, one of the things we were discussing uh, and that puzzled me is that you would never find the, the worst mobster that would think it's okay to go into a school and shoot up children. That's, which mm. is amazing. So subhanAllah, uh, like this is something that I'm confused about. And uh, I'm asking not as a sort of pejorative sure. um, insult okay. towards whites. I'm actually curious. I have no idea what's going on in America. Except for the first guy in Connecticut that started this, this craze off in 2012, I think it was. Mm. Shooting up schools and children being killed, it's being done by their, by their peers. Almost exclusively. So it's, there's, there's not like adults that are going to schools to shoot children specifically, except for that one case. That guy was, and you know, that, that guy was probably the, among the worst of them. For the most part, when you see that a school was shit, it's somebody that was a student or right. was just recently a student at that school. So he has beef with those people specifically. Um, as far as the rest of these random killings when people go to movie theaters or, you know, uh, a bar or whatever it is, right? Um, I mean, you answered your own question when you said they're radicalized by 4chan and the crazy stuff that they're seeing and, you know, this is pure evil. Yeah, this is Iblis. Like, people don't believe in the devil anymore. Yeah. Uh, Shaitan exists. I mean, one of the, one of the guys uh, in one of the not-so-long-ago ones, uh, the one in, I think it was Ohio or something, guy was literally a Satanist. Yeah. Like, there's not, it's not even like we're exaggerating. He literally worships Satan. So... There's no question that, that there's satanic influences yeah. in this. That, and that Iblis has an opening because we have no spirituality and no religion and no regard for Allah um, in and any place in the world. And people don't even believe in him, so they're not watching out for him. I mean, right? if, if you want to see... They're not guarding against him. Just look at what, just look at what, the, just look at what the, these Hindus are doing yeah. to the Muslims. I mean, if you want to talk about Satanism... Yeah. Have you seen what they worship? Like, yeah. I'm not, it's not even an exaggeration. It's beyond the idol worship. This yeah. is Iblis worship. It's Ibadat al-Jinn. Balkanu ya'budun al-Jinn. Yeah, this is, tells us. they worship shayateen. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to hear any nuance. Oh, well, this is a manifestation of the, oh. of, of, of the Brahma. And sh- please, those are, Ib- those are shayateen. Yeah. Those ma- and if these things are monstrous. And no, no healthy human heart can worship something, a monstrosity like that. Um, unless there's something Wait a dark and evil in you. Are you uh, uh, condemning Hinduism? Wallahi. But you haven't studied it. <laughs> what do you know about Hinduism? What's, uh, her, what's her name uh, the, of, of eight arms? You don't even know her she, name, but she, you're condemming Hinduism. It's, it's Shiva. I, right? actually, I actually did study Hinduism at the college level. Yeah. And so, I can tell you that it's, 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 it's idol worship and shayateen worship. Yeah. I mean, this, uh, my point was on a, a, an ancillary point. Uh, related to Radja uh, Shubhat that when you ha- negate an idea all you need to know is where it crosses on your theology right <laughs> where does it cross the line on my theology like if my neighbor comes in and, and his dog poops on my grass right I can go and attack that dog, right? <laughs> to get off my grass. I don't need to know you. I don't need to know what you're going through, right? <laughs> I don't need to know your circumstances. Yeah. And Saturday Night Live had a great thing about nuance, right? <laughs> it's, it had, it, it's, it's, this episode is called uh, Black Jeopardy, okay? And then this episode, uh, there's two black people and a white, and this a white one guy. with Tom Hanks? There's Tom, no, there's a, it's with, with a woman. Okay. A white woman, right? And the the category is I don't know you for five hundred, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like something like someone walks right up to you and says, "Can I use your cell phone?" I don't know you, right? <laughs> use your own phone. Uh, next one, and then the next one. Finally, they get to the white lady, and she says, 
uh, the, the, she's like, I don't know you. And I don't know all of that you've been suffering, so I can't judge you. <laughs> right? Which technically, actually, by host of Thun standards, does actually have a stint. But uh, it's obviously taken to a ridiculous end. But anyway, how did we get there? Hot, yeah. Hot take. Yeah. Um, extending Al-Kitab or Ahadhima status. status. Yeah. To devil worshippers, yeah, it's one of the greatest blunders in the expansion oh in during the period of expansion <laughs> ever, and we're paying the cost for yeah. it now. Yeah, I, I think we got there because we were talking about uh, the idea of uh, you know you you can't constantly have like nuance about other things, and I think one thing I wanted to link back to this idea because we talked about it earlier yeah. is I think that's actually what's led the world kind of in the direction that it has. Yeah, right. Because of the lack of values, the lack of true understanding certainty. and certainty in anything at all, absolutely yeah. anything at all, right? Now, let's say like you, you have a, a random you know, bout with somebody about a topic. Let's say, I don't know, toothbrushes, keep it like, you know civil as possible okay right there's rotating be, or vibrating right right, right. there's, there's <laughs> gonna be some guy who's gonna be like oh you don't really have to brush your teeth because of x y and z right all you have to do is floss and like you know and then there's gonna be like, oh but you don't know the, the nuance of like you know how enamel decay or something right? <laughs> <laughs> and then there's gonna be another person and then the third person be like you know what yeah i don't really care this is nonsense i'm just trying to watch yeah. netflix and i'm gonna brush my teeth <laughs> right Th- yeah. i mean th- this is this is actually the state of almost like the majority of the Western like yeah. world now, which is, I don't want to learn anything. I don't want to do anything. Just leave me alone. I'm burnt out by my nine to five. Yeah. I'm just trying to go home. I'm just trying to, <laughs> I'm just trying to chill. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely true. Listen, listen, I know people. All the, the Melodies are, are yeah. fighting. All the, <laughs> you guys can leave your Akita debates. I'm just trying to chill. Listen, uh, which is actually like most of my friends, by the way. But listen. Most of his friends, too. Most of all of I know people. I know people. Okay. I know people who, when they're posed between two opposing opinions, their immediate instinct is how do I bring these two opinions together? Right? Their immediate instinct is not, all right, what is the foundation of the question, right? And then what are the facts that we know? And what must be eliminated and what must necessarily be true? And what is speculative? That's, that's how thinking should work. But rather, people go by emotion. Not just other people's emotion, their emotion, their fear of ever having to say, this is what's right and that's what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Right, they're also going add that now. They don't want to hurt Moyen's feelings. They don't want to hurt Naz's feelings. Right, but I'm saying, wait a second. To give you an impression of falsehood, that would be the worst injustice. Right, to tell you that actually you're actually making a mistake on this, right, uh, and this is what's right, is a far less discomfort than to let you go on in a wrong position, right, on a wrong belief. Like you want to take which way you're going to go home. I'm going to take route one s- south. Well, no, maybe taking one north is better to the turnpike south, right? So, yeah, you'll, you'll be going north for a little bit, but you'll go south after that straight shot mm-hmm. rather than one south and then one south is not actually south. It's southwest. And it takes forever and there's and lights. it takes forever and it's lights. So just because it says one south in New Jersey doesn't mean it's one south. It's actually one southwest, 
Okay. So if I was to argue with that, rather than say, okay, Moin wants to take one south, let him take one south because that's what makes him comfortable. He identifies <laughs> with one south, right? And, the, but, and then there's the guy who jumps in and goes, well, you know, both are right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't stand this, right? And, and nuance exists. The, pre, the, the, the prerequisite <laughs> of the existence of nuance is ambiguity. Uh-huh. It's ambiguity. Yeah. When you have certainty, we say in, 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 in fiqh, la fatwa ma'an nas. When you have certainty, there's no ambiguity. And that's why legal terms, they try to remove ambiguity completely, right, from it. Okay? And when they want nuance, they, might, they want some senator wants to put some corruption in it, he makes the terms ambiguous to the bill, right? My, my, my favorite joke from when I was a kid is one of my friend's mother yeah. um, had, his sister was like dating. This is non-Muslims I grew up with. His sister was like dating. And the mother was like, I don't want to see you with those boys. You're going to end up really pregnant <laughs> or very pregnant, something like that. And yeah. we were all like, how are you sort of pregnant? Like, <laughs> yeah. you're either pregnant or you're not. It's, it's black and white. It's black and white. You can't and be very pregnant. Yeah. You're either pregnant or you're not. And there, what would you say the bulk of things in the world are mutually exclusive is going to be one or the other it like is. are you at work or not right are you did you wake up or not well, right <laughs> if you if you work in Waynesfield <laughs> you may or may not be at work at the same time that's Schrodinger that's Schrodinger's yeah. job <laughs> you, you may be at work but not working <laughs> he has a quantum job yeah. <laughs> so this this concept and this idea okay you know what's funny be nuanced but the fact that you're accusing someone of not being nuanced you're very black and white about that like, you guys are nuanced, but this is not nuanced. That's a black and white, right? That's very black and white. Whereas, so if you're in the thing itself, yeah. The reason I brought this up, right, is this idea of nuance. Is because there are still people out there who, is, who are going to take nuanced approaches to, like, school shootings. Who would take nuanced approaches. Trust me. Maybe not now. In five yeah. years. In six years. I just did. <laughs> I said, what are you getting all upset about? Relax. Yeah. The world is better than yeah. it was five years ago. Right. But that's the. But here's the problem, right? When you don't have concrete lines of, okay, this is what it is, and I'm just going to stick to it, and I can ignore everything else, you don't have that anymore, right? Back, like, you know, 50 years ago, that's what it was. Things were very plain, very black and white, at least about, like, the majority of issues, and your, the, your life wasn't nuanced, you yeah. know? So how do you actually live a life? properly as a Muslim you know while all of this like postmodern like nuance is out there right? I'll tell you I'll tell you one thing Naz did you have your hand up you want to say something yeah I do um, alright let me say something first okay <laughs> <laughs> no nuance I was going to contradict uh, Moin but you can okay. go ahead I was just uh, reading Imam Malik some of his statements and one of his statements is المنهج هو ما عليه كثرة الناس or غلبة الناس so he says that what the bulk of people are upon this is the way right and he says even if there is something stronger or better why because you need the unity of people or you need the majority of people to do, to do anything there's no point in having a greater idea when you're one against a million right that's one thing secondly what you said about Islam if no, what you said about Islam it forces you to be close to nature forces you to be close to regular people this is what I love about Islam right it forces a person to go pray in the masjid and in the masjid you're going to see people who are very normal people so you know what normalcy is we really know have a clue what normalcy is what the bulk of the people in the masjid hold to be the norm is the norm 
for us Muslims, right? Mm-hmm. That's the norm. Whether it's clothes, what makes, what's men's clothes, what's me, women's clothes, etc. Blah blah blah. So when I get that, I'm rooted in a lot of those things that could go either way. All right, I have a majority opinion right off the bat. Whatever the common focus. Yeah. If you don't have a, a, a masjid around, as is the case for where I live, very <laughs> big problem. You um, do have a masjid. Eh, nobody's there. <laughs> if you don't have a masjid with people where you live in a remote location in the United States or anywhere else in the world, uh, at least in the Western world, try to go to public places where there's just normal people. I think like, the public. Unfortunately, you might get shot. Unfortunately, the American public, the American public is so diverse, right? It's so diverse. Like we have diversity in the message. That's normal diversity. We have like ethnic diversity, right? Uh, racial diversity. But we don't have diversity of beliefs. Everyone believes in Allah, right? Everyone's going to pray. People don't lie. People won't be staring at your, right? People are coming naked, right? So that's even, that might be, a, that might be the problem because we're too cosmopolitan. No one can take a position because any one position will offend a, gr- a significant percentage of the population, yeah. right? But I think to Mayne's point, he's right. One of the things that I, people think that I'm crazy, especially down here in South Jersey where we live, <laughs> but I actually like New York City. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of facade. Which you, part? Blue collar or white collar? Manhattan or like Both Brooklyn, actually. Please. Like okay. I, I like Manhattan. It has good things to offer. And I also yeah. like going out to Brooklyn. Yeah. Um like especially especially like Atlantic Avenue. It's like a really nice area. There's a lot of Muslims there. Um there's like a Salafi masjid, there's Muslim yeah. shops, there's the best Yemeni restaurant I've ever been to. Yeah. But even like even like ghetto Brooklyn is good. It's just it's just a different it's a different vibe than yeah. you get out here in the country. Mm-hmm. And, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the good things is that there's like human beings. Yeah. Like it's a city and it's made out of, it's all made out of concrete and metal and glass, right? But there's human beings Some and there's friction. human activity and yeah. there's life there. And I think that that's a good thing too. Yeah. Uh, what I think that what's really bad is the in between, right? Like if you have, if you live out at like a natural rural country life where you know your neighbors well and you're farming and you have like though you can look at stars at night because it's not light polluted, that's beautiful, that's fantastic. Or if you live in a cosmopolitan area, if you like Istanbul is great. There's great energy. London, London yeah. is amazing, right? It, there's a lot of good energy there. But living in these su- in these suburban subdivisions where, like, they're not even real neighborhoods. There's no store. Where's the neighborhood store? Mm. Like, there's nothing. There's no pizza shop. You gotta order Domino's. <laughs> like this is not. Th- I think that that's actually very bad. And that's by the way, that's the seat of malaise in, in in American society. So I call it's it suburban. Yeah, it's the place. It's when you've left the city to go to. By the way, in other countries, the suburbs are the ghettos. Yeah, like the people that are poor. the people with money live in the cities, and that's the poor people have to live on the outskirts. That's why one of my habits is to keep the same uh, vendors. For example, the dry cleaner, same dry cleaner. Right. So now we know each other by name for years. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Buying food. We go to the same two places to buy the food, buy the meat, same place. Yeah. It's important. So, you, so, you know, the names. Right. Nas, you wanted to say something? Yeah. So I was going to disagree with everything that you guys were talking about. But okay. so I think one of the reasons that shooters become shooters is everything you guys have said so far, that they're sort of uh, detached from society. Right. And they get into the spot where humanity sort of sucked out of them because uh, I know you were saying that violence has decreased right but I think we should be concerned about the psychology of these people because I think this is a hidden psychology that we have in modern people right which is which is these people have completely lost the meaning of life yeah right mm-hmm. they've entered a so uh, there's been a there's been a 50 year study 
on school shooters uh, and it was published in New York Times recently and they found out that one of those common things was that right before they did their shooting they reached a crisis point something in their life maybe they lost their job maybe they got called fat by people in school or whatever right something that uh, tipped them over the edge Mm -hmm. now if you have contact with people in your community like if you have Mm -hmm. human contact you get a certain sympathy for other human beings and you also get this idea that you know what not every human being is like this person who was mean to me yeah right and you also have the support system that at the last resort you could at least go to somebody right you could at least go to somebody but these school shooters they were abused as children they reached some crisis point in their life and there was nothing stopping them from getting a weapon and I feel like this is one of those things that American individualism has led to. Yeah. Because you, loneliness. Th- loneliness. Because this is why you don't see, like, let's say, uh, black people commit, um, you know, school shootings because they have a collectivist culture. Yeah. Right. Uh, this is why you don't see minorities committing, uh, you know, school shootings. They they act out in other ways, but not in this way. This yeah. is something. Uh, one article described it as like a the violent suicide. Mm. Like a school shooting is like a violent suicide. Right. And. I'm going to come back to this point later on about this fatalism, right? This complete loss of hope about everything about life, right? I think that's a lot of people are experiencing that today and we should be concerned about how many people are experiencing that, right? Good points. And and, and those are excellent points. It, and that's exactly what w- when it comes to those points, there's a a number of different ideas and topics which actually I feel the modern person uh, is affected by, right? And it's not just, okay, the internet. It's not just social media. It's it's those plus things like the economy, right? It's things like corporate greed. It's things like, you know, uh, broken families. It's things like, you know, even, even things such as, you know, secular liberalism and, and not believing in uh, for example, the proliferation of the belief of evolution. When you're no longer believing that, uh, you know, you were created from an entity outside and you came directly from this earth, right? And, and you know, you weren't fashioned. What, when you're just a piece of flesh, when you're just nothing, then, what, then you have this growth of people actually believing in what? Speciesism. No, yeah. this is a thing. Yeah. Right? There's a sign in Philadelphia. I drive into work. It's like end speciesism. Which is? <laughs> that we think that the human, being that is human beings are superior. Yeah. Okay, right. so why does he kill himself and get it over? <laughs> uh, anim- he has, he's too busy fighting for animal rights. Right. So, but but, but that's a thing now, right? How yeah. is that a thing? <laughs> but but it's a thing because there's a plethora of different attacks that are upon the modern man. Yeah. Right. Uh, and by man, I mean woman, man. See, this is the so you can't even talk. <laughs> you can't even talk. But don't even, don't even, don't even engage in that. No, but my, I only said it out of, out of, uh, you know, showcasing yeah. that this is how ridiculous it is. Yeah. When you can't speak anymore, when you can't think anymore, then you turn into this fatalistic person. That okay, listen, everything's in this death spiral. Yeah. The economy's in a death spiral. My religion is in a death spiral. My uh, family's in a death spiral. My health is in a death, death spiral. The, my job is in a death spiral. Like, everything's going down. Whatever. Let me just, you know... And, and 99% of people aren't going to go and become shooters. But instead, yeah. what? Depression. Uh, let's go, go on painkillers. Go killers. on phone apps. Let's yeah. go on painkillers. Let's, 
I mean, what what is what is social media addiction except for a, a painkiller? Pain right? It's it's yeah. just another drug, right? right. Let's yeah. let's binge, you know, uh, hours of Game of Thrones and Netflix and and, and Game of Thrones is haram. Let me just throw that out there. Yeah. But uh, hours of you know just content and content and content. Why to numb the human being of all of the 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 death spiral that's around them, right? Yeah. So I think one one. Core, I'd like core question. I'd like to answer before we end. Eventually, is what does Islam have to offer to get us out of this death spiral? You know, how do we live our lives uh, to, yeah. to get through that? So I'm going to make two two points. The first is, by all indicators, things are better in the world than they've ever been. So the death spiral is overwrought. I think it's people being like, it's not as good as I would like it to be, <laughs> right? But I don't think that it's actually bad. I think that. We can sit there and we can go, oh, look, this, this is happening and that's ha-. The world used to be way worse, way tougher. People died all over the place of curable diseases, of famine, of wars. Wars were widespread. Life, the world was dangerous and life was rough. But why didn't it feel I'll tell you. bad? Let me tell you. I have TV. Now, I have a theory for this, too. Number one, you weren't exposed to as, bad, as much bad news. That's the first thing. Number two, there were not that many people in the world. Like, the world seems like it's teeming with people. Like, you get lost, right? Second, thirdly, friction. Back in the day, you had a lot of friction with people. Like, always friction by meaning interactions. Mm -hmm. Like, interactions with the earth, right? Why? Like, things weren't as smooth. You could fall, right? You had interactions with bullies in the streets, right? A school bully. School bully is very beneficial if it's limited, if it's controlled, right? If the school bully is controlled, like it doesn't get to a point of driving a person to suicide, but a little bit of bullying in a school makes everyone a little bit, a lot stronger, right? Whereas what did they do? They did anti-bullying in the schools. Finally, when the nation in 2016, a bully came on the block, no one knew what to do, right? When Trump came, he bullied the whole nation. No one knew what to do, right? Whereas I'm like, all these people, all you need is, have you never faced a bully, right? Look. Jeb Bush and all these people. There came a point where the only thing, I'm telling you, that would have stopped Trump was Jeb Bush was mosquito. He was out. <laughs> you had the Miami guy. What was that guy's name? Uh, there was a couple. <laughs> oh, oh uh, Rubio. Rubio. <laughs> the <a> only. <laughs> He's just mosquito. He's probably seeing a therapist right now. Okay. The only thing that would have stopped the Trump right machine is if Rubio went, would have went and grabbed him by the neck and punched him on live TV and embarrassed him. That was that was the only thing. Yeah. But no. But no. No sense of thinking out of the box. No sense of, of taking a risk. Well, what did Trump win by? Everything is out of the box and taking risks, right? So you have everyone want to toe the line and it's going to happen again. Might as just can't cancel the election. It's going to be Trump in four. A sweep, right? So it's friction we have not enough friction so a touch of our immune system we get sick a touch in our emotions oh we're going to sit on the couch right so, so the world is really not as bad as as we th- seem to think that it is but the fa- perception is reality for a lot of people mm-hmm. yeah so i'm, I'm gonna okay. disagree with that because yes you're right from a materialistic point of view the world is not bad it's abundant luxury oh, but this is right? what people are complaining about no no i, I understand but uh, one of the things um, we have to understand is human beings have two parts body and soul mm-hmm. we've created a world where it's a paradise for bodies 
but there's nothing for the soul. Totally true. And one of the thing, one of the reasons why people are suffering so much today, is this phenomenon of the nuclear man. And I'm going to define what that means. Before the nuclear age, before, <laughs> no, 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 before, before, uh, before World War II, right? Uh-huh. Um, you know, this is why I, I wanted to say I disagreed earlier. There was a lot of certainty. In fact, what got us into the situation is a lot of certainty. The British Empire, so modernism is a philosophical movement uh, that incorporated the British Empire. The British were very certain mm-hmm. of their superiority. Yeah. White people were superior. Intellect is superior. Technology is superior. Materialism is superior. Everything else is dumb. Good point. Right? And what this led to is something so satanic, so horrible, it affected all of Europe, all of Asia. Right? Is World that War the f- fault of certainty or the fault of what they were certain about? What they were certain about. I'm coming to that point. Okay. Uh, World War II, so much suffering. The people that you saw as your role models were dropping bombs in other countries, killing thousands and millions of people. Yeah. Post-nuclear man just gave up, yeah. right? Because look what, what where their certainty got them. Yeah. But my grandfathers, they're supposed to be my role models. Oh, this is the guy that you know, yeah. um, owned slaves and uh, dropped the bomb on Hiroshima, right? Yeah. So th- this is a person, this is a person in the modern age, he cannot trust tradition, right? Mm-hmm. He has no trust of tradition. He has no idea of where he came from, right? He doesn't have any beliefs. How yeah. can he have beliefs? Look, Be- where, look yeah. where beliefs got him, but, right? But you know that what we believe is that kufr eats itself and exposes itself to be... Uh, uh, something that destroys itself exactly right? and and the thing is i think the reason is not that uh, people were too nuanced it's that people were certain about the wrong thing yeah so much so that when the right thing needs to be certain about people start doubting it yeah and i think the thing that we need to be certain about is islam that's really the only thing today in the yeah. world maybe catholics i don't know um the only thing in the world today a worldview that sort of offers you this type of certainty towards human values right mm-hmm. human values not not these sort of anti-human values that intellect is the best, that the white man is supreme, right? But that, these that human values... That a baby is just yeah. tissue in the body. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So uh, if we can... And, and the reason people are suffering today is because they don't have those things to be certain about. <coughs> One right? of the most amazing things about, us, uh, about Islam is when I was... As I'm writing this book of fiqh, mm. I had to consult uh, lawyer, marriage lawyers. Because when you're in the chapter of marriage and divorce, you have to know what's the relevant situ- uh, situations in your area, right? I had to consult certain businessmen on the nature of contracts. What are the certain terms? Mm-hmm. Because we have babul buyu. I had to contact certain people about the nature of the throats of animals when we have to do slaughter, right? Like, wh- what's going on here? I had to contact um, people on inheritance because we have inheritance law. I had to delve into books on dreams and dream interpretation. And I'm like, subhanAllah, when you study fiqh, you will study every facet of life. I had to delve into governance, right? Because there's a chapter on what makes the khalifa legitimate, right? What is a sound rebellion? What is an unsound rebellion? When can you ever rebel, right? What? So that's there's some politics yeah. there, right? Governance and a philosophy of politics, in a sense. So... One of the beauties of it is when you're talking about what is the value that Islam offers. And I'm sitting here like, it's all this is in 100, 200 pages, right? So you're getting a touching the base. So nobody's fully ignorant. You're not totally ignorant on one field. Mm. You do have a sense 
you're, right? inter- you're integrated with life. Yeah, you're integrated. Yeah. Everything is one. You know what's beautiful about that too mm. is that it's just giving you the facts. Yeah. This is the ruling. Yeah. There, no nuance, no discussion, yeah. <laughs> no philosophy, no theory. Yeah, this is the rule. This is the Let rule. me explain to you why. The, no, this yeah. is we've done the homework, right? Uh-huh. I've done the homework, yeah, the and this is the it. this is the this is the fic, This is the ruling, and this is the fatwa on it. Yeah. I I actually find it very interesting that across the world, there are now large right wing movements. Right, I find it very interesting. Mm. Right, because there is clearly, as ge- as people feel this general angst around the world. Yeah. Right, especially in the Western world. When I, and when I say the around the world, I do literally mean around the world because mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. Western culture propagated all over the world. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even in Muslim yeah, even in Muslim countries, and what because you know I find it very interesting that there are these like right wing extremist movements yeah. all across <coughs> the world. Right. And the reason why I find it interesting is because there is this understanding of people that people have that something is weird about the world and we need to fix these definitions. Maybe going all the way to the right is the wrong, is the wrong philosophy. However, sure. however, that doesn't mean that you know, you know, swaying to the left is the wrong right philosophy, right? Sure. It's, it's, well, it's coming to this understanding of what is a definition, yeah. what are true values, and, and, and I think co- going to just the basic principles of Islam can give you that. And one of the things is that uh, w- I w- when you said that people look at so much nuance, so much blah, 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 no one knows what's what, everything's weird, let me just go uh, and, and watch TV and, and sit on my couch and don't bother me, right? That is one element. I was going to tell you that there's another avenue people can go, and that is to say, no, there are things that are true, and there are things that are certain, right? Mm-hmm. That's the other way. And so... What you described is probably the bulk of people. But also, what I'm describing is the origins of this right-wing thing. Then the right-wing being that they're going to grab onto what they know is certain. Because I, whenever, whenever there's turmoil, the right thing to say is, what are the facts? What is absolutely certain, right? And let's stick to that and build upon that, right? And st- stick to that if all we have. To- now, if, if you're in America... And what basically the right wing is, when they say, what are the facts, they're going to give you a whole ridiculous list of things we don't agree with, right? But the idea, the concept of, let's go back to what we know is, is, yeah. is history, is tradition, right? Let's go on. Let's go, uh, let, let's stick to what, what we know and what our fathers went. We would say, let's stick to our, what our dean says, right? What our book says. So that's why when, our, when I react and when we react to this stuff with, say what's certain this is certain right this nonsense cannot continue that's why they call us the the liberal types of muslims they call us the alt the ak right <laughs> yeah alt bros alt bros oh yeah yeah the ak right the ak right instead of the alt right or but, the alt but, bros but see we're not but that. i'm getting we're a not t-shirt that. made yeah. we're, not, we're not that though. we're not that but what the, the reason they see similarity is because the right wing people are saying this is li- this is how life is and we're also saying this is what truth is, right? Now, we, we're basing it on book and sunnah and majority scholarship, right? Dominant opinions. But they're obviously just basing it upon their forefathers. That's the difference. But the similarity is the reaction to this, right, crazy world is to say there's got to be something true. And we got to build on that. So, continuing on my earlier point, um, it's true that things are objectively, in the material sense, much better. And in the spiritual sense, they're disastrous. Um, and those two things go hand in hand. In fact, I was just passing around that picture, and I posted it on Twitter recently, 
of it was a Pew survey of people who claim that who say that religion plays a very big role in their life and it's like it's literally uh, a mirror image of where there's material wealth Mm. so those who have more have less religion in their life right so while it's objectively true that materially things are better it's also true that people feel their perception is that oh man things are getting worse and all that is is anxiety it's a fear of loss this is why the alt yeah the alt right uh, or the the right wing movements the 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 nationalist movements you know the separatist movements the anti-immigrant movements that are on the rise in europe are a result of a fear of loss and people are, are fearing loss because they have no confidence that what they that what they have and what they care about the material that it that it's going to go it's going to last at all, mm-hmm. and this is a hundred percent the result of losing losing faith losing iman, right? So what Islam has to offer the world more than anything is a sense of security, and it's a sense of understanding what is valuable and what isn't. Now I'm not saying Muslims understand what's valuable and what's not. It's clear that a lot of Muslims don't, but Islam gives you that. I'm just gonna. Just to, just to end it, I just recently watched a documentary on uh, people choosing alternative ways of uh, meeting their end, right? So some of it was like, I want to be having like a natural burial. I don't want to have like, you know, a, a big casket. What are you watching? <laughs> it's on HBO. <laughs> it, it was a documentary about al- alternative ways that people choose to die. I mean, we're gonna we're all gonna die. It's, right. it's actually a good topic. Um, and there was like one story about these people whose kid. Um, had like a, like a childhood disease and he, he died and one of the things that he said he was like four he was like you know just please throw a party for my friends like a comic book hero party whatever I would love to see that right or I would have loved that so instead of having a big funeral where everybody was miserable they did a small funeral just for family and then they threw this big party for all his like classmates or whatever you know stuff like that but the bulk of it for some reason focused on this one guy he was a, a Silicon Valley software engineer he was, uh, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> he had um, he had terminal cancer and he chose to, uh, he got some medicine from a doctor, right? The sister suicide stuff and he was going to kill himself. Yep. So I'm watching this, right? And the guy gets his family together. He goes, it's going to be tomorrow. This is our last dinner together, etc." right? But he's driving himself to and from this, uh, this, this like gathering with his family. And I'm like, I'm outraged yeah. not because he wants to kill himself do what you want but like where's your understanding like if you have one more second that's one more istighfar that you can do mm. like you can make toba, you can benefit people you could do a good thing like you were healthy I know you're dying but you might have had months even if you had days like how could you just quit how could you quit early no reason to at any second it could be the, the, the one phrase that changes you yeah. from from jahannam to jannah and this is something that Islam brings you, right? It gives you the hope that even in the last moment, things could turn for the better. And that you have something to live for and that you don't want to commit atrocities while you're living. There's a beautiful uh, saying from Malik. He said that uh, uh, new questions came to Sayyidina Umar bin Khattab and Umar bin Khattab didn't like to answer them. All right, He left them blank. So if he wasn't he did, a if <laughs> <laughs> And this was actually very important on the issue of nuance is that Omar Malik said that I saw the, the elders of Medina who were tabi'in and tabats and tabat tabi'in and, and uh, very older tabi'in too. He said that uh, none of them liked to go into the deep, the depth of issues and sparse up masail, right? We had the ta'amuk 
all right in this in this detail that you are all in right they didn't like this right they if it was in the book of allah haram they said haram if they if it was not in the book of allah and they felt it was haram they said we don't like it they didn't even use the word haram we don't like it right we don't do it so they kept things simple and he talks about that but then to the point that you said he said that umar bin khattab never once asked for death okay except once when the he was afraid that he would lose his his way right that he would not be on the straight path other than that umar loved to stay in the world right it's an amazing statement it's like it's not what you would expect from someone of jannah right let's all leave and be dreamy and mm-hmm. oh, uh, i'm not good and let's just go to akhirah no he wanted <laughs> to stay in this world and act and the prophet said him when two brothers died the good brother died first, right? There are two Muslims. One was very righteous. The other was a regular common Muslim, right? So the, they said the good brother died. And then six months later, the other brother died. So they, when, in passing conversation, one man said the, there was a very virtuous brother, right? And then his other brother died six months later. And the Prophet ﷺ said, well, don't say that. How do you know that his salah and the one Ramadan that he had, that his brother did not have for six months, he had salah and one Ramadan? How do you know that that didn't surpass him? And how much? Six months of salah? Six months of salah. Yeah. Last thing I wanted to say was that um, uh, you were saying... Uh, actually, go ahead. I just skip, skipped my mind what I was no, going to no, say. But it's so you're right. And so the, 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 story, the thing about saying Umar, it points out that when you have deeds, good deeds, yeah. then that gives you a different perspective on life. Yeah. Right? So one of the other common factors, and I know this is going to be uh, less nuanced than the, stu- mm-hmm. the way the studies are done, but the common factor with these mass shooters, yeah. with people who join uh, terrorist groups, people who do uh, suicide bombings, people who join neo-Nazi uh, groups, people who join the Ku Klux Klan, across the board, they're losers, right? These are people who have nothing. They're often, the, the, these guys, the, according to the study now, clear, there, there's like a, an inciting inf- inc- incident that pushes them over the edge, but they sucked before that, yeah. right? Uh, everything they did, they were losers. Similarly, these guys that join these groups, they're losers. They got nothing. It's of, often you find these guys that get talked into becoming like suicide bombers or whatever. They're, they lost their job. They flunked out of school because they didn't want to study because they were lazy because they were playing, you know, Call of Duty instead of going to class. And then they go, oh, I have nothing. Or there are people who never practice Dean who were never religious, who had you know, petty criminal offenses. You find this a lot in the European ones. Petty criminal offenses, drugs, theft, right? He's got a girlfriend who left him. He's just dating some, some, some European girl, and then she leaves him, and he's like, oh, I, gotta get real, I got nothing. And these guys go, oh, praise Allah, and then we'll get you to Jannah. Like, uh-huh. We, have, we yeah. have the shortcut to Jannah, yeah. blow some people up so or shoot, shoot up a club. Yeah. What's that? The four wives? Yeah. Uh, no, 72. 72. Uh, 72, sorry. 72, yeah. homie. Wow. I'm, I'm short. Uh, I'm a rookie. <laughs> um, well, well, but yeah, they're losers. Yeah. And, and that's why when you talk about death, you had brought up death. One of the th- things about Islam, like Nas made that point very early on. He said that Islam brings you close to nature. Part of nature is death, right? And I remember in the year-end speech, that little year-end speech I gave uh, at the uh, Eid party, because Eid al-Adha is also the year end too, right? Because the next month is the beginning of the new Hijri year. So I said, in assessing our year, I said, any year where you're memorizing the Quran or you have in the masjid kids memorizing the Quran, right? And your body is in the masjid making salah and you're engaged in some knowledge, right? That was a good year. And I said, this year we had some good births, marriages, and deaths. And I made it a point to mention deaths because when you see a good 
funeral. A funeral where the family's there. You've seen the last few days of the man's life or the woman's life. And the, surrounded by his family, saying, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. The masjid is packed for the funeral. People walk to the funeral uh, or, or go to the graveyard and bury the person. Long dua at the end of the person. Don't You cannot underestimate the kind of impact this has on a young person's life. Mm-hmm. And you'll, anyone, right? You look at, okay, that's how we go. All right, now I know where the end is. When I know what the end of something is, all of a sudden the middle becomes very stable. I know my beginning, right? And I know my end. And when I say my beginning, meaning the beginning of humanity, that Allah created us, right? And I know our end. Each one of us is going to go, then we're going to have a resurrection. But my concern is my own resurrection, which is my own descent into the grave. I see what the end of life is like for the middle-aged person. He needs to look. It's not just for youth. Middle-aged person needs to look at 70-year-olds dying, 80-year-olds dying, how they go out. And they realize that's the right way to do it. I have a community. I have people who pray next to me. They're going to bury me, right? And I know where I want my heart to be. I know what matters. My career is not going to matter. My fame and fortune is not going to matter. There's nothing going to matter in that last few weeks when you know you're dying, okay, except your spiritual state. And you better hope you were at least decent enough that four or five people would take care of you and maybe half a dozen people would pray over you, right? I mean, that's a lot for many people. SubhanAllah. Have you ever been to a non-Muslim funeral? Um, Once. Okay. Was it like a celebrity or like a regular person? It was just... um just saw the casket. Okay, so, um, but I, I, I went one time to like an Amazon. Like, where are all the people? No, there's nobody. What the heck? This is it? You're, yep. You go out. You've been in the state for like 50 years. Think about this. A Muslim who's been in the state of New Jersey for 50 years or 30 years or in Chicago for 30 years, lived his whole life, or where, where there's a population of Muslims. And he was just a regular mosque-going man. That's all he did. Just show up to the masjid, right? You're going to have at least 300 people at your funeral. I've hardly ever gone to a janazah that had less than 100 people. Yeah. I mean, how? But subhanAllah, when, I, when you think about end of life, last phase of life and burial, you realize that's really what's important. And what do you guys have? Right? What, what do atheists have at that moment of life? That's if, the, if you don't know what to die for, then what do you have to live for? Hey, can I That's interject something? Yeah. We started on that topic of Uthiyah and how people don't do it and they should do it. You know yeah. what else people should do? Wash bodies. Oh, you should wash bodies. You should be involved in funerals. I hate you. every time some guy or woman goes on uh, social media or something and complains <laughs> that the khutbah was about how to properly prepare a body and yeah. do a janazah. Yeah. You need that khutbah because you don't yeah. know how and yeah. you're all afraid of it. Why it should be done. Yeah, and you know, um, when I... Before I started, you know, learning Quran and stuff, I was like, you know, what's up with these legal verses in the Quran? <laughs> you know, I'm reading books by, you know, Foucault. Actually, I didn't read Foucault, yeah. but but <laughs> all these, you know, fancy in the original people. French. Yeah, I don't know French. All these, all these fancy people, you know, yeah. talking about the the luscious grass. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, just, also the Christian mentality is that right, right. spirituality only. Spirituality only. And now I'm telling you, those verses are some of my favorite. Yeah. Right. Because the older you get, you realize, holy crap! Especially if you've been sheltered. Yeah. Holy How old crap. are you, bro? <laughs> no, no, I'm saying no. I'm <laughs> he was reading Foucault when he was nine. He's like, <laughs> he's like, you know, the older you get into your mid twenties. <laughs> no, I'm telling you yeah. that, like, if you're a sheltered person, and you don't have that big of an experience with the real world, it could be so horrifying that yeah. you sort of just shut down. Yeah. And I know so many people like this, that as soon as they get a job, they just shut down because they just don't know how to deal with real life. Yeah. 
and you know I'm reciting these verses uh, yeah. I was like subhanallah you thought of everything yeah right like you haven't left Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not left a place yeah. for me to like uh, say oh I have no idea what to do right so this is I think um, you were talking about how these shooters are losers right Islam has a place for losers mm-hmm. and the promise to the losers is that it could change you yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely totally true. And and Subhanallah, this is why I mean my favorite thing about Islam, and one of the things with these shooters is that they're fatalists. Mm. I've been I've been kicked in my butt by the gene pool. Yep. Right. I'm a beta. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not <laughs> never gonna get. No. 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 Seriously. Yeah. I'm, I know. I know. Never gonna get girls. I'm I'm done with my life. Yeah. And there's no chance of hope. Uh, genes. I'm yeah. I'm over. Right. This is a fatalistic attitude. What Islam says is no. The world is controlled by a personal God that yeah. created you for a purpose. Uh-huh. And if he stopped sustaining you for an instant, you would be gone. Mm-hmm. So he cares enough about you to keep sustaining you from moment to moment. And he has some great purpose for you. Right? I mean, this is such that a... Should, that's great for your self-esteem. This is like, something... I'm cared for. It's, it's, um, it's a, an idea that's so radical uh-huh. that that's, what, that's the only idea that can make heroes. It's, that's it. Super right? hot, super hot take. Yeah, <laughs> I'm done by the way. No. Those people, these people that I'm talking about, I'm calling them losers because of what they've done. Mm. Well, if they were in a good Islamic community and they had good Islamic family around them, they would be, they would do well mm-hmm. because they wouldn't be oppressors. Yeah, these they're they're not that kind of person. Yeah, right. They're kind of shy. They're kind of you know. Mm-hmm. They, they actually would benefit from a community where they could find their place, where their where the aunties would find them someone to get married to, who'd be a good personality match, and they would have children who would be like you know, yeah, the kids that are like you know muqaddams of the masjid, yeah. and like it would be good. Yeah, yeah they do they do khidma and khidma and and the the promise of Allah uh, of the Messenger sallam, is that there are categories of people. There is the scholar, there is the student, there is the servant of the scholars, someone who arranges for their programs, etc. And then there is the muhib, the one who just loves, right? Okay. So he said, be one of the four, don't be one of the five. Don't be the fifth one. There's no fifth. Be one of the four. But the ulama in the commentary, they said, we've never seen one uh, become one, being one, except that his, his child occupies the higher station. SubhanAllah. Right? So SubhanAllah, and you cannot be a loser in a religion that tells you you have to work. You have to earn your livelihood. There's no socialism. There's no communism that's going to give you a paycheck. You're going to work. Number two, you're going to get up for fajr. Number three, you're going to you're going to you know do all these things. So by going to the masjid, you become social. You know how to talk. I'm telling you, wallahi, there was a convert. Got to know how to talk. Weirdest dude. <laughs> Salah in the masjid has made the guy the most normal dude I ever know. Right, because he can talk to people now. He knows how to talk. Before that, he's like, if you said hello, he, he jerks, he jumps, he doesn't know what to do. Oh, right? There you go. He doesn't know how to. He's nervous. All of a sudden, five, six, seven years later in Islam, completely normal dude, and he has a job and he prays in the masjid. Guess what's going to happen next? He's going to get married from the masjid soon because everyone's seeing him now. On it's been years, 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 years working praying in the masjid. This is a great guy, yeah. right? And one of the beautiful things we can't have incels in Islam. Very impossible. I'll tell you why. When you live in a local community of people who follow the Sharia, right? The girls are also following Sharia. The girls are not going on in clubs and all that stuff. Yeah. And the guys aren't doing that. And you're living locally, okay? So when you're living locally, the choices are not that high in the first place, right? So in a sense, it brings everything down like in Beautiful Minds, right? When you eliminate all the... You've, you've limited the whole issue now to like 10 people. 
and you have the clock is ticking on everyone, right? Like the chess clock. You got to make a move. You got to make a move. The clock is ticking, right? So that's how people get married, right? Oh. And for them to imagine, okay, it's going to be like this most amazing human person. This is not, firstly, that's not reality. That's number one. But number two, like get something first before you try to shoot for, for, for the sky, right? For some ideal that's not even doesn't exist, at least people are getting married, right? Just briefly, yeah. you know that thing you said about the four types of categories and how if you're one, your your offspring will be at the higher mm-hmm. level. Mem Malik's grandfather, mm. student Subhan. of the Sahaba, mm-hmm. is a tabi, yeah, right, and student of big Sahaba, yeah, Ibn Omar, mm-hmm. Aisha, Subhanallah. Yeah. His do- he had a daughter, she married his student, Subhan. somebody who was a student of her father. Yeah, he was a student. He wasn't a scholar, but he yeah. was a student of knowledge, and then that produced Imam Subhan. Malik. And I just want to say one more thing that what uh, everything that we've been talking about about values, right? Somebody could say, okay, just make up a list of values and just follow them, right? Mm-hmm. The, these are very nice things we're talking yeah. about. Make a list and follow them. Good point. But the thing is that we follow we follow things with personality. Yes. Personal relationships motivate us the most. Like mm-hmm. if you love somebody, you're willing to, you know, climb a fence, you know, kill a pig, whatever. Yeah. You're willing to do crazy things, right? When you're in a group? <laughs> no, 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 no. When you love somebody. Okay, when you love somebody. For, for their it. safety, whatever it yeah. is. But that, that, that's not the same if you believe in some type of an abstract thing, right? If you believe in some type of abstract thing. Oh, you're right. right? Yes. So yes. the, the yeah. amazing thing about Islam is that not only do you have this personal relationship with God. Yeah. You have a... A, a, a personal relationship with the Prophet of Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and you have this example of look I, I'm not the first one doing this somebody's done it before right and I'm telling you like to me uh, when I reflect on the seerah the biggest miracle that he's a prophet yeah. is that somebody could endure that much trauma mm-hmm. and still have that magnanimous heart and yeah. it's impossible like if you read histories if you yeah. read histories of, uh, of generals uh, mm-hmm. These big people. There's always skeletons in the closet. There's always this coping mechanism that they have. They're they're crazy. Yeah. Right. The Prophet some. The more you study him, Subhanallah. Right. Yeah. Subhanallah. So it's it's this love that keeps you motivated. And not to only pursue that, that value. Not yeah. only that, because someone may say, well, the Prophet Sallallahu was so far away, and yes, it is a person, but it's so far off. We what we have is living examples too. But I know more about Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam yeah. than I do about my grandfather. Yeah, true. Like, <laughs> and you have the Prophet peace be upon him, and you have a living chain, and that's what we are. That's what we have. We have a living chain. So if you weren't inspired, and how many times we sit around gathering and talk about the shiuch of our century, right? The, and tell the stories of, and this is very important. Many people say, "Oh, why would you talk about the shiuch of today when you have the sahab?" Well, because. Yes, they were pure in the past and the greater example. But this is more moving to talk about a living person is more effective. Like what a friend, a living source is more effective to move you than anything else. Also, right? you wouldn't say I mean, that if you've ever met a scholar. That's true. And you wouldn't like say an that. actual scholar. Yeah. The, the greatest uh, defense I have against that now is like, dude, even the money speaks. Why does Disney do remakes of modern of, of older films? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Why does anybody do a yeah. remake of an older film or an over older show? Yeah, 
because people want to see the modern modern interpretation. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, yeah. when you when you when you want to hear the stories of the awliya, right? Yeah. Of, of course you want to hear the stories of the sahaba, but you're not going to connect, you know, at, at the same level as you are with someone, you know, if you hear that your, na- if your neighbor is a sahab, is a wali, yeah. obviously you're going to connect yeah. with that person a lot more than hearing from hearing about somebody from the, you know, yeah. 1500s. Right? It it moves you more. Right. Yeah. Right. Um so I think uh, the f- second thing I was going to say, I, I forgot, but the <laughs> since I was waiting. Uh, but the first thing I wanted to say is uh, for a long time I used to think and wonder, is the love that many people have for Islam, you know, rooted in nostalgia, right? Is it just like, you know, rooted in this like love of the past, mm, good love question. of things that have happened, or... You know, and, and as I grow older and as I learn more about the deen, right, it's it's not the love of the past. It's the love of what Islam brings into your life in the present, mm-hmm. right, which connects you to the past yeah. is what makes it great, right? So it's not really a sense of nostalgia because you could remove all of the past. Yeah. But at, because of what Islam brings into your life, I think that creates these memories. I mean, we can just being part of a Muslim circle and I know there's listeners who have said this they feel that as they listen to our podcast it feels like they, they haven't sat with Muslim brothers in a, in a circle of this type before and it feels like they're sitting together because that's what Islam brings right it brings yeah. a sense of community it brings a sense of purpose and it brings a sense of value that bonds people together that's the most beautiful part yeah. right um, and I think the, the the second thing I was going to say now I, now I remember is there might be people and there are people out there who are going to say you know why Islam then Right? Why, why this religion? You know, why, why couldn't I just you know, make a general set of values? And why do I have to believe in the set of values that like, you know, your like, Hanafi school is yeah. defined or the Maliki school is defined or this school is defined? Or why do I have to believe in this like, complex set of like, you know, uh, Aqayad principles? Why can't I just get the TLDR version of Islam? Which is? Right. Uh, I, you can, right? It's make your prayers. I, I yeah. missed that. What is yeah. TLDR? Oh, too long, didn't TLD- read. TLDR is too long, didn't read. <laughs> short, short into TLDR. Okay, that's the new one. That's the newest thing. I. Uh, that's very a old. Little, it is? Yeah. I never knew that. So right. <laughs> the, 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 the TLDR version yeah. of it is pray your five prayers, fast Ramadan, make hajj if you can, do your shahada. Yeah. This is uh, simple. Well, here's the thing. And good luck. Doing yeah. all of those things. Yeah. No. Right. Good luck. Good luck. Just just doing it the TLDR yeah. way. You know what happens when you do the TLDR way of anything? Yeah. You don't get most of it. Right? That's why it's called the TLDR. So you're, you you don't do the TLDR of your AP biology. Right? Like you go to class. I know. You don't do the TLDR of things that matter in life. Like you you go through it. Right. Yeah. And it's like sure if you want to live in this spiral of death around you <laughs> then go for it now right? Mo- Naz and Moeen you, you both made this point of why can't I just make my own set of values well here's the thing is that to practice values you need a couple things to really practice them through thick and thin over the centuries which is you need co- or, or you need company other people who f- share them yeah, right? yeah. other people who share them. Not, o- not only other people let's say we had a million people on the earth today who shared our values right and we all agreed but we have no history we need a history. So we have a history and we have the best history, 
right? There's no ummah that has a history like ummah of Islam. No. That's guaranteed, right? No, neither no nationality, no ethnicity, because they share the same morals as we do. People talk right? about American values. First of all, they've changed a lot since the beginning of America, and it's still only been 200 yeah, years. Yeah, it's only been 200 years. They have <laughs> a, like five history professors per university on t- studying 200 years yeah. of American history. But you need a history. You need rootedness in something sacred, because what happens if half the group says, let's change them? We can't yeah, change certain can't things. Change them. Qat'i. Right? It's what I said. Someone asked me, what is Qat'i with, two, with 10 T's? Right? Qat'i, which means explicit, cannot be changed. And by the way, what makes something part of Aqidah? That is in the Quran. That is Qat'i. It doesn't have to be anything else than that. Right? Amanna Rasul Wima Unzila ilayhi Wal Mu'minun. Allah, uh, the Prophet ﷺ believed in what Allah revealed to him and the believers. Anything that's in the Quran that is an explicit verse, it becomes an article of faith. And if, if it's not listed in the books of articles of faith, that's because nobody opposed it, right? So they didn't need to list it. Or mutawatir. Or something that is mutawatir. Mutawatir. Yeah, I mean, for example, one of the things that puts someone outside of Islam, which is what is the definition of Islam, is that if the whole ummah has accepted something by tawatir, even if it has zero textual evidence, like what? The location of the Kaaba. Where's that textual evidence for that? If someone says to you, actually, no, I have discovered by scientific evidence that the Kaaba was actually 500 feet to the left. Udhia and right? then alternate burial. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> so these people, uh, there is Tawatur, right? There is uh, Tawatur and Ajma and certain things that are not necessarily in the text. So, so, but what makes it a matter of belief? Right, is that uh, it's in the Quran. That's all I need. Okay, and we didn't have this uh, differentiation of of uh, of uh, separation aqidah and, and if it's in the Quran, it's in the Quran. That's it. You have to believe in it. Period. If it's explicit, so that's how simple it is. Are we going to get to the point now in the American Muslim conversations that something could be in the Quran but we don't have to believe in it? Of course, you'll get there. What, what world are we living? No, in? we're already there. We're already there. What world are we living in? Right. Then I guarantee you the same people when the Church of Satan gets popular, they're going to have an interfaith with them. <laughs> no, they won't. They won't, though. That, that won't happen. Why I mean, not? Because it's, it's, a, you, it's selective beliefs, right? It's not. I guarantee you it's going to happen. I see people have interfaith with people who worship all kinds of crazy things. Listen, listen. There are people. At least the Church of Satan doesn't actually worship Satan. <laughs> That's what they're going to say. They don't, by That's the way. That's what they're going to say. They're going to say, you hedonists. people. Yeah. You say you're going to say, you people, you don't understand the Church of Satan. <laughs> right? And they don't truly worship Satan. They're hedonists. Yeah. That's all they they're are. Hedonists. They're materialists. Yeah. They're people who, you, they're hedonists, they're materialists, and you don't know what's in their heart. <laughs> materialism. <laughs> well, well uh, so the last thing I want to end on, right? And, yeah. and, and maybe we can give a, a couple minutes on this, and then we'll close. Is I think something that we often forget, right? Especially as we try to go for this like TLDR version of the Dean is also this TLDR version of change and tasawwuf and, you know, becoming better as a person, right? People think that they can, you know, quickly, you know, change. It doesn't happen. Long right? trap. Long trap. Change is a, is a lifelong process and it's a lifelong commitment, mm-hmm. right? And it happens slowly and it requires work and effort, right? And that is what actually makes this whole process worth it, right? Because in the end, you will see change. It's going to take a while. Right? It might take a lifetime to get there. 
but that's the key right it's not it's not this like two week effort you're gonna have to work on it and you're gonna have to be in this system and you're gonna have to play by the rules and you're gonna have to do all of these things but if you do all of those things then you will get there right that and that's the key yeah and there's the even yani uh, no one as Sayyidina Ali said no one gives Allah Ta'ala an action today and Allah pays him in credit in other words you will get your reward now and later and the now that the least if someone feels that they're not advancing spiritually I'm doing all this stuff I'm not advancing spiritually uh, Imam Al-Ghazali says but uh, you don't feel anything from your dhikr man said no he said but you weren't backbiting the dhikr kept you busy from backbiting mm-hmm. the dhikr kept you busy from saying stupid stuff right something dumb that got you in trouble with your wife or your brother-in-law or your mother or something looking at things you shouldn't be looking yeah, at yeah you're reciting quran and you're you're a weak student of hevel and you stink and everything everyone's better than you at least you were your eyes were doing something better there was once a mal, uh, in, in india once a year there's a sheikh who gathered all his murids in the house on the on the weekend that his sheikh had passed away right which they call him ors right so they have this gathering you know the root of that word? Ors? Wedding. Yeah. Yeah. yeah subhanallah. subhanallah. Wedding. And there's a beautiful dream I'll tell you about in a second. That, uh, and they would sit and do dhikr all day. And there was a brother from Texas there. Who's from Texas? This brother. And uh, they would literally do uh, Quran, dhikr, qasidas, eat, rest, and talk, repeat. And they would do this all day for two, three days in a row. Right? Now... The sheikh one day, he said he gave a discourse and he said, all of you tonight will see a beautiful dream, inshallah, right? And the next day, it was true that the bulk of people woke up and they said, we saw this and I saw this and I saw that. Now, one murid came to him and said, sheikh, I never saw anything. He said, I'm not worried about these dreams and I don't bring you here for these dreams. I'm worried about not what you saw, but what you didn't see. (laughs) Because this weekend, I know what you didn't see. Right. In other words, what this gathering protected you from seeing, wow. right, from the sins, right. So you didn't see certain sinful things that you would have seen seen if you were doing, uh, you know, sitting on the, on the couch and doing nonsense. Now about this other dream, there was a woman uh, it had a dream during the time of Ibn Sirin, and there was a man in Mecca named Abdul Aziz Ibn Abi Dawood. Ab, uh, sorry, Abdul Aziz Abi Dawood. He was a very pious man. He was considered one of the muttaqin of Mecca, and a woman sat by the Kaaba one day reciting the Quran long into the night and then she went home and she fell asleep. And you know when you do dhikr long dhikr at night you're going to most likely you see a beautiful dream. Right? She saw a beautiful dream and she saw that the Kaaba had in it beautiful maidens carrying trays full of flowers and walking around the Kaaba. And she said who are these beautiful maidens? And a voice said you don't know that today is the wedding of Abdul Aziz ibn Abi Dawood. Right? And she woke up. When she woke up, she heard this tumult in the street. When she looked, she saw it was the janazah of Abdul Aziz ibn Abi Dawood walking by. SubhanAllah. Wow. So she had seen that earlier. That's SubhanAllah, this is how we die? This is the ummah that we, this is how we die? I don't know. So I think that's a, that's a wrap. So jazakumullahu khairan. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Salam subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk wal asr inna al-insana lafi khusr illa alladhina amanu wa 'amilu s-salihat wa tawassaw bil-haqq wa tawassaw bis-sabr. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi. Great job Muin, great job Naz, and great job as usual Alex. What do we need more than Surah Al-Asr? Khalas. Like that's 
That's it. That's it. Imam Ahmed said that's all you need if you understand it. Or maybe it was Shafi. Ha, 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 ha.